Good afternoon, guys. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy, a special episode today titled Paxton Movie Anatomy, remembering the giant on-screen Bill Paxton who charmed us with his easygoing leading man or character actor skills. We've watched this guy our whole lives. We miss him dearly already, and we can't wait to talk about the things that made him such an awesome presence on the screen. Hang out with us today. We're going to remember Bill Paxton. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! Oh, I know, it's not it's quite kind of as exciting today. Kind of a little bit of a downer, a little bit of a downer moment. It is. I mean, it's also, I mean, hey, it's Wednesday. It's action yeah. movie anatomy. We're very yeah. excited to We're be here. here. But we're here under different circumstances today yeah we we had planned to come in today and talk about swordfish we did i was really looking forward to that scene where john travolta stands up and he faces the two guns sideways in a moving car uh and unfortunately over the weekend bill paxton um one of the greats on screen of our lifetime yeah passed away unexpectedly at age 61 on the, the morning of the oscars um shocked everybody due to complications from a surgery, surgery. and this Which makes so the, much sense because he's so young and yeah. he seemed like a guy that took pretty good care of himself. You know, yeah. When this happened, it was one of those moments. I think we all kind of looked around at each other, like, "Was he sick? Did I not know? Exactly. Was yeah. was this a thing that had been in the news? I hadn't paid much attention to because consistent with Paxton's career would have been exactly that if Paxton had say been sick or had had a series of strokes or something. He's exactly the kind of actor that we wouldn't, wouldn't hear really that hear much about. about. Yep. That's because so, that's a very interesting point because he because he wasn't the quintessential leading man so uh none of that was the case he had had heart problems but no more than your average person Mm -hmm. and passed away unexpectedly at age 61 um survived by two grown-up kids and a wife and an amazing resume of some of the best movies of our life absolutely and especially catered towards this show and the movies that we cover on this show we've covered what one two three four five Six Paxton movies almost? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, five or six. And there yeah. was another five or six that would have been in the running to possibly get to someday. So, guys, if this is your first time watching or listening to the show, if you just happened upon this because you loved Bill Paxton and you thought this would be an interesting place to start, this is Action Movie Anatomy. Mm-hmm. We talk about action movies on this show. We break down the greatest action movies of all time um, in a series of games and things like that. And today is going to be a variation on that show. Uh, We won't be sticking to necessarily all of the same rules or the same format, but we will approach the subject with the same level of intellectual analysis that we try to lend to every good or bad action movie. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to try to do a half a tribute to Paxton, half a tribute to Twister, and next week we'll be back to normal AMA, doing all the fun games and things that we always do, but this is more important this week. So, Paxton, jumping right into things is most well-known for a few films. Um, I would say that his most cherished character ever appears in the film Aliens. Mm-hmm. I think Hudson is probably his most quoted character. Game over, man! Yeah, game, game over! over. Um, Improvised line, by the way. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Uh, he's also one one of the unsung elements in Titanic, Yes, which is at the time was the highest-grossing film ever made. Uh, another James Cameron film. And has a small role in Terminator. And then finally, I would say... 
an awesome role in Terminator. Yeah, if we were going to point to one more, I would say it's probably his one true starring action role, yeah. which would be Twister. Absolutely. Um, the second highest grossing film of 1996 behind Independence Day. Of course. A far inferior movie, in my opinion. Absolutely a far inferior movie, <laughs> but for the 90s, it was perfect for what we wanted. Absolutely. And I think what was so great about Twister and Independence Day and Dante's Peak and Volcano is back then with disaster movies... It wasn't disasters that we were like, oh, no, a tornado's coming. Or, oh, God, I hope that... Right. I mean, I guess as a kid, you were like, oh, my God, that volcano. Tornado, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. But, like, as a little bit older, if I was, like, 20 or 19 watching it instead of, like, 10, it's a thing where it's just fun because you're not worried about a tornado coming through Oregon. Right. I'm not worried about a volcano going off in Oregon. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? So, like, back in the 90s, these, these action movies, these disaster movies had a totally different feel. Well, and also Twister stands as this incredible, um, in, the way that, in the way that Die Hard was the, like, sort of anatomy for the whole generation of five or six years of movies okay. uh-huh. that came after it. All of these sort of, exactly what we talked about in the very first episode of the show, Air Force One. You take a guy, you put him in a situation, right. in a place, and he has to solve the problem in that place. Mm-hmm. So, if, whether it's stuck on a plane, whether it's stuck on a bus, whether it's stuck a in a train, building, yeah, a train, it may be. They, have to, they have to deal with the situation, the terrorists. Uh, the next generation, five, six, seven years later, the trend was exactly what you're talking about, which mm-hmm. is the everyman faced with an unsolvable disaster that he has to survive and get through. And that's, you know, that's like movies like Daylight, yeah. movies like Dante's Peak, Inferno. Or, uh, was uh, Hard Rain both? Was it like a little bit about Rain and mostly a drama thriller? I don't really remember that well. The, is that the Christian Slater Morgan Freeman one, or is that the is Black Rain the Michael Douglas one? Maybe that's Black what Rain's I'm the Michael Douglas of. one. No, I think Hard Rain. I think you're, that Hard sounds Rain hard. is. Yeah, I don't really recall the movie, but <laughs> there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is kind of Twister was part of that next that mm-hmm. next uh, sort of generation of movies. So we will be covering sort of a mini action movie anatomy on Twister to start the show off. Uh, but first, let's talk a little bit about Bill Paxton. Yes. Um, what we're going to start with is our Bill Paxton career thesis statement. Normally, mm-hmm. we start AMA with a thesis statement. We do. Um, and we each have our own. Today, we have a shared thesis statement, an agreed-upon idea, which is that Bill Paxton is the greatest action-adventure character actor of all time. Yeah. And the evidence that we've lined up here is we've listed about uh, 10 movies. Find me another character actor from his generation. Really. It's not going to work. That has 10 like him. And the movies you can list are True Lies, Twister, Titanic, Nightcrawler, Weird Science, Aliens, Edge of Tomorrow, Terminator, Frailty, Tombstone, Apollo 13, and Near Dark. Is there a more beloved 12 or 13 movies by any character actor you can come up with? No, and the other thing about these movies is you can show this list of movies to anybody over the age of 15. Yeah, and they'll pick out. Oh, I love this movie. Oh, you know what? I love. That. Oh God, you know what? I haven't seen. That. I love Terminator. You know, that's the way it is with Paxton. Is these movies? Every single one of them almost is iconic. They span four decades. They span four decades, and every single decade has a film in it that you cannot miss. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's he's got an unbelievably unique career, especially because of who he was, his type of personality, what made him so charming. So that's where we're going to start with the thesis statement. We're going to talk a little bit about Paxton, where he came from. So he was born and raised in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad did all kinds of things. He was a businessman, lumber wholesaler. He occasionally acted. His mom was Roman Catholic. Um, he 
he was in the crowd when JFK was assassinated. That, wow. This is a famous. Yeah, I was just reading that. Yeah. This, this is like one of the famous stories, and there's actually a picture of Paxton being lifted above the crowd. You can see at the the day of the assassination, eight year old Paxton. Um, <laughs> so what is going on? Yeah. So he was in a dramatic situation from the <clears throat> earliest time in his life. Um, this is really interesting. So he worked with James Cameron, or uh, yes, he worked with James Cameron several times. Mm-hmm. Aliens being one of them, Terminator being one of them, Titanic, Titanic being one of them, and he actually worked with them a, th- a fourth time on Alien uh, Ghosts of the Abyss. I okay, okay, yeah. The 2003 documentary that they did <laughs> about going back and actually, I, in, I believe this is what it's about, investigating the real story of the Titanic. Um, and he's like, he's like Cameron's wingman in the movie, like right hand man. They're like, yeah, it's like a doc, and he just like, goes and does the research with Cameron, right? And that's just he was just great friends with James Cameron. Well, I've heard from everyone, Paxton's just like the nicest, coolest, most humble dude in Hollywood. Yeah, you never have heard a bad story. And that's, this is one of those things where people always, people will say that about anybody that passes away. They'll say he was the nicest guy, the brightest. If you go and you, it's like, it's almost like exhibited in his characters. He's like affable, good natured, like his smile, everybody said the same thing. And that's almost why he plays the shit weasel so well. In True Lies. In True Lies is because it's like, he knows how to, he knows that he kind of looks. Yeah. Like Paxson has this look and there's a lot of these guys that have these looks about them that make it so they can't be leading men. And it's not that they're not good looking enough. Yeah. It's that they have this look that you can't really trust them all the way. Right. I think that Chris Cooper's a great example of that. William Defoe's a great example of that. There's these guys that you look at them and you're like, eh. Yeah, right. You know? Totally. And Paxton kind of has that about him. Not in the sense of like, you might kill me, but it's like, you're going to screw me over, aren't you, man? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. He's a a great used car salesman. I kind of went for my used car salesman outfit today. (laughs) He's perfectly cast there. But what I love about it is that he's such a lovable guy in person that when you see these characters, he knows exactly the buttons to push to turn that lovable guy into a shithead. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. So, uh, this is something really interesting. He he actually met James Cameron working on an old Roger Corman movie. Uh, Corman, who's like, you know, like the godfather of like schlocky, low budget <laughs> horror from the fifties and sixties. Um, Paxton was actually working as a set designer uh, in set design in nineteen eighty one when he met Cameron on the set. Now Paxton in eighty two in his duo Martini Ranch released his first album Holy Cow on Sire Records. <laughs> And the guy that shot the music video for Reach, the only single released, was James Cameron. I don't know if you've heard of him. (laughs) (laughs) So two years later, Cameron puts... Of course, Bill Paxton has a music video directed by James Cameron. Yeah, in a band called Martini Ranch. (laughs) It's fan-fucking-tastic. It's the best. It's the best. What kind of music is Martini Ranch? I don't know. Marissa, can we we, uh, possibly cue up the song Reach by Martini Ranch? That's what you should have opened the show on today. We've made a huge mistake. Huge mistake. <laughs> so Cameron directs this, and two years later, he puts Paxton in Terminator 1. Uh, for those of you that don't remember him in Terminator 1, he's, he's got like punk. the blue spiked up hair. Yep. He's the guy who's like, I think this guy's a couple beers short of a six-pack. And he's talking about <laughs> Schwarzenegger when he first meets him. Uh, he gets thrown into a fence. Like, he's just got this small role. But he became a friend and a... And here we go. Oh, it feels like Martini Ranch already. Oh, look at this. Oh, I love it. Oh, can we get the video going too, Marissa? Yeah. It's a Paxton episode. We're going to honor all of it. Look at that. What is that? Uh, uh. That's the Martini Ranch. I'm like actually legitimately into this song right now. I'd never heard it before, but this is like my style. We should have totally opened this song. Oh, Paxton. You have to train your 
Santa Fe for money and for riches. Oh. <laughs> Don't love the vocals as much. When the shadow of the night came on, he was gone. Marissa, thank All you right. so much for that. Thank uh, you, Marissa. <laughs> I love that Cameron directed the music video. And so, then Bill Paxton's just starring in it yeah, as like an action star. It's fantastic. So that's 1982. That's that's the first thing that he's in directed by Cameron. So <sighs> a couple years later, he's in Terminator. And that obviously kicks off what becomes this monster, mm-hmm. monster career. Um, so talking about just a little bit of why we decided to focus the show today on Twister. Yeah. If you look at that list of movies... Paxton was really only ever cast as the lead in one action classic, and that is Twister. Absolutely. Um, It's weird that that's the case when you look at the list of movies and how bankable he was, how popular he had been, that that's the only one. And it's not to say that he's not an important character or a near-starring character in a bunch of other movies. It's just that that's the one movie if if see he did six movies total leading up to twister mm-hmm. three movies that i didn't list here that are smaller you'd, you'd look at the titles you'd probably recognize one or two titles that i doubt you've seen them i hadn't but around those movies were apollo 13 in 1995 true lies in 1994 and tombstone in 1993 it's a pretty monster little stretch there in the yeah. 90s i mean those are classics and those are all substantial roles he plays in all three of those films yeah big time roles and incredibly memorable and so he follows up the uh, <laughs> apollo 13 turn with twister which turns out to be his only really his only starring role in a major action classic yeah and it and what is it about paxton that makes him not bankable as a leading man is it what i was just talking about is I, it that look? Is it this that his delivery? Like, what is it about Paxton? Well, oh, you know, and also, sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off again, man. Uh, fans, I do not have my phone today. I'm not in the live chat. But uh, based off of our rules saying that Bill Paxton is the greatest action-adventure character actor of all time, uh, we're going to call these hashtag AMA rules. I want to know what you guys think about that rule. If you think that there's someone else that is a better character actor, I'd be hard-pressed to see who that is. Yeah, we'll bring up later a discussion of a few of his contemporaries, guys that were mm-hmm. around at the same time, in the same era, that maybe would have sort of arguments for the same title, um, and we'll maybe go through some comparisons there. But, yeah, talking about his career um, and why it didn't kind of go to that next place, if you look at the movies that come out in the years following Twister, it's really interesting. It's mm-hmm. got, he's got a starring, a near-starring role in U571. Right. He's in Mighty Joe Young. Yeah. Which he's the... He's, yeah, the, he's lead. the lead. Yep. Yeah, him and he's got vertical limit, which he's got a. I, he's I remember him. The lead in that. It's what him and O'Donnell. Yeah, I think he's a little lower on the cast list, but I remember right. him in that movie. Um, he directs Frailty in two thousand one, <laughs> uh, which he stars in. Mm-hmm. He, people were watching Bill Paxton. It was just a question of like enough years passed after he did Twister, where he didn't have another one of those movies. Mm-hmm. That it's almost like somehow the changing of the guard happened, and then we had we had that thing that went down with all of the. All the action guys we love so much that after 9-11, the movie's kind of changed. Maybe he was just a little too old. Maybe he was just five, six years too old Yeah, being put into that leading man role and then the changing of the guard like you're talking about because in the early 2000s, it's like, who are the guys we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, if you look at that list that we put together of the most important movies in his career, there's a clear changeover in the mid-2000s, like the mm-hmm. 04, 05. But here's the thing. He booked Big Love in 06. 
Which, so, I, uh, incredible show. Yeah. Amazing. You've watched it? Yes. Okay, so I never watched Big Yeah, Love. like, I mean, I, for those of you guys that don't know, I was raised Mormon. Mormonism is nothing like what Big Love is. That's a different type of Mormonism from what most people practice now. Um, <clears throat> but it's still incredibly fascinating. Yeah. And he's excellent in it. Yeah. So, so he does that for five years. So he, he sort of... Again, it's like almost like he got in exactly at the right time of something. Just like he did in the 90s with movies. He got into the HBO generation exactly at the right time. Do you think he's early? No, because he's he's not... So early was a Sopranos. Sopranos is, is 98. Well, that's... <clears throat> so I feel like Sopranos is like laying the groundwork. Yeah. And then I feel like this is too early. And then like Shameless is perfect timing. You know what I mean? I would say that, except that I think by the time Shameless comes around, like you're talking like the last five years, mm-hmm. the last five years, it's like there's so much content now. It's like oversaturation. It's almost. like the fact that if you, for instance, like when he came out with Big Love, he oh. was the star in an HBO series. Which came out in when? 2006? Oh, yeah. In 2006, okay. coming out as the star of an HBO drama was like, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. There's like six of these. You know what I mean? There's five or six of these, and this is the only network that does this kind of content. Because, like, Mad Men wasn't out yet. Did Breaking Bad and Mad Men start 07, 08? Um, Breaking Bad's, like, 08, 09, I think. Okay. And I think Mad Men's, like, 08. Because, see, that's when I feel like it's the perfect time to get the role, is when network television starts picking up. Not premium yeah. channels, but, like, AMC, FX, all the... That's when they're putting out great content. That's when I feel like it was the right moment. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I get you completely. Um, I would still say that his role in Big Love and the fact that he got that show and was on it for five years was, was a was great... huge. Yeah, yeah, great thing for him. And then what's really interesting is that after that... He still has two more credits in the last five years that are super, super relevant in Edge of Tomorrow and Nightcrawler, both of which are, like, huge movies. He's even in Two Guns with Denzel and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, and also those two movies aren't just, like, big movies. Those movies are critically renowned as excellent films. And and Nightcrawler, I I mean, you guys all know how much we love Edge of Tomorrow, but Nightcrawler will never cover on the show. He does awesome in that film. He's great. And he's not even really a shit weasel in that. He's kind of just, like... I've been doing this longer than you, kid. Get off my back. Yeah, you totally. know, like it's interesting. Yeah, he's great. So <clears throat> that's kind of that's kind of the story of Paxton. He sort of navigated four decades of all kinds of roles. Mm-hmm. He was able to be, you know, star in a major like a major premium cable drama. He was able to star in one of the highest grossing films of the '90s. He got a star in a Disney kids film with animation in it. He know? starred in the highest grossing film of all time as yeah. a supporting character. He is. Beloved in genre films. Near Dark, Catherine Bigelow's vampire movie is like one of the all-time genre movies for people. He's just one of James Cameron's buddies that makes documentaries with him. Yeah, Cameron's like, you should be in my wife Catherine Bigelow's movie. You should be in this movie. Uh, or maybe maybe they weren't married yet, I'm not quite sure. But um, nonetheless, I think it's pretty amazing to look at that. There's, there's basically no one else you can think of. So I think Bill Paxson is kind of like... He's like the flower or something in, in baking. You know what I mean? Like baking is such yeah. a science. Yeah, he's not like the the creamy drizzle or the the cherry on yeah, top. Right. Yeah, he's the fucking guy that holds it together. He's the guy that lays the base. That without him in these movies, without that role being played perfectly, yeah, it falls apart. He's not the icing, and he's not the first slice that right. they show in the ad. He's the rest of the cake. He's the whole rest of the cake yeah. that keeps it together. And that's you know, you look at all these movies, and Aliens is you know again it is one of the most beloved, but like True Lies. Yeah, you got to have that guy play that shit weasel. Per- like Philip Seymour Hoffman's another example of a guy yep. that you put in any of these roles, and he shows up in Twister as well. That is so important to have, definitely. So I have 
I have some some theories because later in the show we're going to ask the question of, you know, what made Paxton such a special performer? Why did he stand out? And I think we're going to try to answer that question with some of the stuff we're getting we're touching on here. So yeah. let's get through Twister let's and uh, and we'll and then we'll continue to move through. So on the other side of Paxton in Twister, you have Helen Hunt. Now this is really really fascinating because we're of the age that we remember Helen Hunt winning Best Actress for as good as it gets vividly. Like oh of course we were like nine years old. That's like. I remember watching the Oscars. I remember watching that movie. I remember Jack, mm-hmm. like the whole thing. I was like, "Oh, Helen Hunt!" Like I know a big, I know a big grown-up adult actress. And I used to be like, "I remember seeing her on that show, right, Mom?" Yeah, you know? exactly. Because my mom li- loved Mad About You, which she was on for seven seasons. So yeah, you go look at her career before this movie. She's in Kiss of Death in '95. What is that? That's Nick Cage, right? Willem Dafoe. Yes, and, and, yes, uh, yes, yes. Uh, what's his uh, What's his name? Uh, David Caruso. David Caruso. It's like an action mm-hmm. movie. Uh, it's like a cop action movie. <laughs> and I saw Snowden the other night. I wasn't. It was it was fine. Yeah. But Nick Cage is in it. Yeah, I knew that. And he yeah. does really well. He's good. I'm like, remember when you could do this, man? Yeah. He's like Nick Cage is like secretly still a great actor. Oh, he is. And I think in our <clears> lifetime <throat> he'll be resurrected. There I will think. be one movie role where you watch it and he'll win an Academy Award. Or for it. or he'll get his own Netflix show or something. Yeah. It'll be fantastic. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, I just remembered. I was like, oh my god, I said Nick Cage being awesome again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Helen Hunt. Moving so on. so Helen Hunt. So yeah, literally, she's in Kiss of Death in '95. Prior to that, she's got TV appearances during her time on Mad About You because she's on Mad About You from '92 to '99. Yeah, she's got a movie in 1992 starring uh, uh, Billy Crystal, I think, called Mr. Saturday Night that I like. Okay, don't think I've ever seen. And that's basically it. And after after this movie, literally the next movie she's in is as good as it gets. She wins Best Actress. She's so good in that. She's great. She's so good. She's like one of these rare actresses where <clears throat> she got a primetime TV show, like a comedy, yeah, and then managed to like get a couple movie roles towards the tail end of it and win Best Actress. She yeah. like won fucking Best Actress four years after just being a nobody on TV. I mean, not a nobody, but like... That's sit- I mean, sitcom television back then was more popular than it is now. Yeah, but still, being the equivalent of Callista Flockhart <laughs> in Mad About or in uh, Ally McBeal. Yeah, exactly. Right? And then her winning Academy Award three years later. It's like Ellen Pompeo goes and wins Best Actress after being in Grey's Anatomy. It's like, yeah, uh, what? And 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 Jack wins in there as well. Like this, just yeah. a, it's just a huge movie. And yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, that's lit- Hollywood. That's it, what you talk about. It you would know? literally be like it would be like. Callista Flockhart was in, uh, what's the show called? I just said it. Ally McBeal. Ally McBeal. And she, like, in the early 2000s, like, has a supporting role in Ollie. Right. And then, like, she's, like, the female character in, like, Michael Mann's movie, his next movie, and wins Best Actress or something. And it that's, makes, like, that's it. That'd be the whole story. You could never predict, project that trajectory for someone's career. Yeah, you would never have watched Helen Hunt on that <laughs> show and been like, oh, yeah, she'll win Best Actress in 1997. And then with Helen's Hunt, Helen Hunt's career after that, it doesn't really go anywhere. It kind of, like, teeters... You know, ups and downs in the in the late '90s or mid 2000s, and then she just kind of disappears. She was in like, yeah, she was like in Bobby that movie. Uh, when did What Women Want come out? '98. That's no, that's like that's before this. Uh, that might be '98. It's yeah. either '98 or 2000. 2000. Okay. Yeah, but it's literally like a couple <clears throat> years later. Like yeah. that's the whole that's the whole stretch of her career, and then she just like whatever. She made tons of money on the show. She won Best Actress. She won the most. Uh, yeah, the the greatest award <laughs> you can win as an actress. So and then she kind of. I think she has like two more roles in the last 12 years that I noticed were kind of relevant. But 
that's kind of who stars in this movie. And now, the rest of Twister is laden with sweet, sweet character actors. Oh, there's amazing people in this. Yeah, Carrie Elwes is a total shit weasel. Yeah, one of my favorites. Philip C. is in there. Yeah, PSH is fantastic in this movie. You've got uh, the guy who plays Daniel Faraday in Lost, whose name I cannot remember right yeah. now. Um, you've got, like, two other character actors whose names I can't think oh, of. Oh, the whole thing is just 90s character actors. Yeah, the whole thing. Um, you've got, uh, what is her, uh, Lois... Yeah, the, the the girl. You're the, talking about his wife? His mom. Oh, his mom. Um, Lois Burke? No. Damn it. I can't think what her name is. She's She had an episode on The Americans like three years ago that was like one of the best episodes of TV I've uh-huh. ever watched. What's the chick that plays his, his girlfriend's name? I can't think. Of, I can't think of her name. I can't think Jamie of her Gertz. name. What'd you say? Jamie Gertz. Jamie, Jamie Gertz. Gertz. Yeah. She was one of those chicks in the 90s. You're like, you're going to do everything or you're going to do absolutely nothing? The guy that's the driver for Carrie Ellis? Yeah. Who's like, yeah, a, he's, he's great. Yeah. He's usually like a really like weak-willed doctor or lawyer and things. Like, tends to be his role. And he looks a lot like the guy who's in Running Man, who's the shit weasel, who's oh, like holding the clipboard. yeah. They look like exactly he the really same. really does. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Different guys, same look. It's amazing. Wonder shit weasels. Mm. Uh, so... so- yeah, let's move on to our, our Twister fist pump moment. Yeah, so Twister fist pump moment. Um, You want to go first? I don't know. It's so hard. Like, there was so much exciting stuff about, like, F5s when you were a kid and, like, actually seeing yeah, the right. Category 5. Like, as a kid, I think that was it. Yeah. I think it was when you finally saw how wide it was. It was so big. You were just like, oh, my God. Yeah. That's it. So, like, 15 years ago, that's my fifth fist pump. Yesterday when I watched it. Yeah. I think it was Carrie Elway in the parking lot in the beginning yeah. just being a piece of shit yeah. with his southern accent. We, I st- you stole my designs, yeah. that part. Yeah, yeah it's just like, like, I stole your idea. Yeah, it was just so good. And if it wasn't that, it was just Paxton walking up in jeans, t-shirt, and a blazer. And a blazer. Just looking so 90s. Yeah, just so fucking 90s. I would say my fist pump moment in this movie was probably as the movie is starting and so after the after the opening scene with the twister uh-huh. when uh when Paxton and you said Jamie Gertz that's her name yeah when they show up and everybody keeps being like hey bill welcome back and he's like i'm not back and you're yeah. like and you're like this is you're like yeah i'm on for the ride of course you're back everybody you're knows back. you're back and you're like this is screenwriting 101 like this is like a running joke and it's funny yeah. you get like the payoff on the third time it just was like and then they start playing the music. It almost feels like the music that starts playing in the beginning of Tommy Boy. There's something about 90s films and, like, making you feel like you're a part of the gang. You know what I totally, mean? Totally, yeah. The music the music that goes with his introduction to all those characters. Yeah. And something about, like, because it had a lot to do, I think, with the fact that movies then, we've talked about this a lot, but movies then and movies now, the the kind of like who saw what it was different because back then there was a lot less movies being put into a theater and advertised to you mm-hmm. as like this is the movie to watch. So those character actors that showed up in that movie, they're in all the movies in the nineties. Yeah. So you kind of you kind of recognize all. Yes, exactly. This is like the same music yeah. as Tommy Boy. Just heads up, it is. It's literally it's the so same. Similar. Hey, yeah. Tommy, <laughs> shut up, Richard. <laughs> um, no, but uh, it's like you recognize all the faces in a way that like it's really hard to do nowadays because if you try to put like a gang together in just like a random doesn't rando, work anymore yeah because this isn't franchise this isn't like Fast 8 this is like just some movie that comes out what was that movie a few years ago Into the Storm that came out like Why does that exactly sound so familiar? it's a tornado movie that no one right. saw like that was the equivalent to this yeah and, and like with those you talk about those groups of people that work together there's just like the Apatow gang now you know what I mean and they yeah. just do comedy right they don't have this group of like character actors just like alright let's get the boys together and make another sweet action movie 
Yeah, it's kind of like you got that era of it, and then like into the early 2000s, you had like the Ocean's Crew, and like all the guys that went with the Ocean's Crew. Right, right. And then like there isn't really that anymore because like a movie will come out, it'll go straight to video, it'll go to Redbox, and it'll have these guys in it, and we just won't see the movie. Yeah. It's just like just not something that's on our radar. So you miss all those credits for those guys, those character actors that are never going to get the leading role. When they get their, their you know, moment to turn with a star, like we just don't get to see them. Yeah, they just get thrown. It's like. It's so crazy. It's like putting in your time, yeah. even though you've already landed. You've already made it, but now you've got to put in your time again to work your way up to that leading man role. But with, with the way that the the business is now, like you're saying, like two guns. Yeah. You know, like even though that movie was released in theaters. Yeah, it was like a studio movie with like big people in it. We love Denzel. Yeah, we just didn't see didn't it. didn't want to watch it. Yeah, something I thought about actually just the other day too, and I promise guys, we're, we, we realize we're kind of all over the place, but we will get back to Twister, um, is that... So we're 28 years old, and we love movies. And we watched mm-hmm. a lot of movies between the ages of, like, let's say seven or eight, and probably, like, 23, 24. Like, yeah. maybe even a little younger, like 22, like post-college. Um, when I say a lot of movies, I mean, like, we would watch mostly anything relevant that came out. Just watch movies all day long. Yeah. You know? and, and you would go to the theaters, and you'd pay to see bad movies, mm-hmm. and you'd watch movies on cable, and you'd watch things on Netflix, because you had a lot more time. Yeah. So you could sort of burn your time on things that didn't matter as much. I've noticed as I've gotten a little older and I've had less time, I don't have the ability to watch crappy movies anymore. I don't either. Like, I don't go to the theater to see bad movies unless it's for the purpose of this show. Yeah, I mean, I used to love getting a little <laughs> inebriated in whichever yeah. way it was and watching a horrible movie on cable. It's not the same anymore because, like you said, I don't know if it's because our time's more valuable or what, or I just don't have enough time to waste on watching this movie. But now when I watch movies, I need to be moved. I need to feel something. It needs to be a good movie. So yeah. what, what I think happens is you'll notice, like, when we hang with the Schmoes guys, or you watch, like, Schmodown, and you mm-hmm. see, like, guys like Makuga and Ellis and Harloff. Like, those March guys, 14th. Yeah. Those guys know the 80s categories, like, intimately. Like, yes. they know 80s and, and 90s, like, the back of their hand. In the way that we know late 90s and 2000s, 2000s. like, the back of our hand. And it's because of the age thing. It's because you have that mm-hmm. ability to, like internalize all the information and watch all these movies. That's why those character actors to us from a 1996 movie feel like something we just know. And, like, there's kids that saw movies in the late 2000s and early 2010s that feel that way about this current generation. Right. It's just an era thing. It's It's a question of time. And so... Yeah, because in the in the eighties and early nineties, there was the same group of guys. If yeah. you go back and you watch all those action movies, you'll see the guys pop up. For yeah, sure. Names like Corey Haim and Corey Feldman to us are like yeah. pieces of history. Right. But if you're like thirty six, those those are names where like you saw a License to Drive in theaters. Of course. You remember watching Adventures in Babysitting and like <laughs> Toy Soldiers and like movies like that. Sean Astin is like Toy a household Soldiers. name. Yeah. Whereas, not because like, of Lord of the Rings. No, nah, like we had to go watch those movies to like learn our history. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just interesting, and that's like eighties. That's not even history. So anyway, yeah, moving exactly. on. The point is, I think that's why this gang in this movie feels so like jovial. Yeah, and, and you feel fun. like you're part of it is because we yeah. grew up with them. Yeah, totally. So <laughs> as we continue to move through this, this movie is written by Michael Crichton and Marie Martin, and there's an uncredited rewrite by Joss Whedon. Amazing. Um, everybody knows who Whedon is. Obviously, he's the guy that made the Avengers successful in theaters. Um, Michael Crichton is like the most successful writer ever. He's financially the most successful writer ever. He's got. I had this really interesting moment last year at Comic-Con I meant to tell you about. Yeah. Uh, it was late at night, and I was coming back to our, our room after a long day. And there was this gorgeous girl. Like, yeah. gorgeous. Running down the hall after this guy. Yeah. It was Joss Whedon. I don't know for you guys that have seen Joss Whedon. He's not a very attractive man. Sure. Nothing about him. that, But 
it's just so crazy how comic book culture and nerd culture has taken over so much. Yeah. I literally saw a B-list. I can't remember exactly who it was coming around the corner going into the elevator at the same time. I'm sure yeah. she saw him as well. Yeah. He didn't even care. Yeah. But Joss Whedon, she ran down to take a picture and get his autograph. And this yeah. girl was like a 10. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, Joss Whedon, also Buffy, also. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Like, he's like a, a legend. A he's straight a god legend. among that culture. Yeah. Um, so... He does an uncredited rewrite on this. Anne-Marie Martin was married to Michael Crichton at the time. This is her only screenplay credit. So it's just Michael Crichton, really. <laughs> I was just going to say, I didn't want to say it, but... Yeah, and this is one of the weird ones. He actually wrote the screenplay to this movie, whereas if you look at his movie credits, for the most part... Books. It's a lot of, well, it's a lot of books, a lot of adaptations by other writers, and then a lot of, like, characters by. So, like, right, every right. Jurassic Park movie that comes out is characters by, because he didn't write Jurassic World, but mm-hmm. he wrote Jurassic Park, so he gets to have forever get credits for those movies. Yeah, just like anyone, the Bourne movies and all that, any yeah. franchise film. <clears throat> What's funny about Michael Crichton is that, like, you go back and look at, like, a lot of his successful novels, and you look at, like, a lot of his successful movies, it's not like they're that good of movies or that good of books they're just they're very specific they're like high-tech futuristic thrillers it's just because of jurassic park right that's the only reason that he gets the pass on everything that he gets like looked at as like a legend well and now westworld yeah i mean i know but westworld was the movie from oh yeah not the shit yeah yeah yeah. from the 70s i mean he wrote and directed the movie and then uh, yeah, which is good. It's a good movie. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. pulpy, but like... But Jurassic Park is the one. Yeah, that's the one that made like everything he wrote after that, like, this is a thing. And, but I mean, the Andromeda yeah. Strain and all these... Like, he just... Congo, he just like had a knack. I mean, the reason Congo was a big deal was because of Jurassic Park. Because yeah. it was the next movie that came out by it Michael Crichton. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's the thing that Anto- Anton Foucault will yeah. do forever from the director of Training Day. Right, exactly. You know. Rising Sun, Sphere, Timeline. Like, Which one's Rising Sun? That's, is that uh, Wesley? Snipes. No, it is Snipes. And uh, and uh, Sean Connery. Yeah. It's like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Real bad. Yeah, it's either, he's like a detective. He's like an old... Uh, Connery's like an old school detective who like spent time in Japan and is like lives by honor. And <laughs> Snipes still have is like, it, sir. And, uh, and the bad guy is Shang Tsung. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, I have seen that film, Shang Tsung. Um, so that's that's Crichton. And now this movie is directed by Jan de Bont, mm-hmm. famous for Flatliners. No, famous for... Uh, <laughs> Famous for a lot of things. Um, did you? Did I make you watch Popstar yet? Did we do that? I almost watched it the other <laughs> night. I haven't watched it yet. I was going to turn it on like two nights ago. I was like, I have to wait for Bateman. You guys, if you haven't watched Popstar, there's this phenomenal part. Like, I'm a huge fan of Hot Rod. So, yeah, me like, too. This crew. But Bill Hader is like, basically, it, it's as if Justin Timberlake had no musical talent whatsoever other than to sing. He like couldn't play any instruments. Right. That's like what the Sandberg character is. And, like, so he can't play guitar, but so, like, Bill Hader is, like, standing by, like, a rack of, like, 17 guitars, and he's, like, yeah, I pretty much function as uh, the guitar tech on the... And he, like, knocks the guitars over, and he, like, can't pick them back up. And then it, like, cuts to an interview, and he's, like, yeah, my day's off. I like to uh, do something called flatlining. It's where you uh, lower your heart rate to the point that you're legally dead. <laughs> I like to get into, like, one F session, F line session a week. <laughs> he's, like, shows him doing it. And then he's, like... Just- I got the idea from the movie Flatliners, uh, directed by Jan de Bont. <laughs> it's like so random. So good. Such a good call. Yeah, so Jan de Bont um, is a Dutch cinematographer who worked with Paul Verhoeven. He did the cinematography for All the Right Moves, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October, Basic Instinct, Lethal Weapon 3, and then directed Speed in 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the big. That's like the big thing for him. Uh, and funnily enough, followed up speed with twister like yeah. two great action movies 
And then, weirdly enough, after that, did not have another hit. Like, he did The Haunting in 1999. Her, I, like, vaguely remember that. The Haunting? Yeah. Yeah, it's got, like, a big cast. It's got, like, um, is that Liam Neeson, I think, is in The mm-hmm. Haunting. I think there's, like, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, yeah, maybe? Yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones, I remember. Yeah, I don't remember anything about it. But, yeah, <clears throat> it's so weird to go from those two movies. Y- you wonder why he didn't just kind of ride that wave. That's I was totally surprised as well. I think he might have one more, like, pretty bad movie in there. He did three more movies that he directed after Twister, and none of them were good. Right, and I remember him being rumored to direct Godzilla. Yeah, that's, that's like, another thing. Yeah, <laughs> so Jan de Bont, yeah, direct Speed. That's, like, the other major one. And then the fact that, as a cinematographer, he's, like, more famous, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, talking into Critical and Box Office, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, released by TriStar. It cost $92 million to make, which was... It's pretty substantial back in 96. It grossed $241 million domestic with an additional 252 worldwide for $494 million. Just under a half a billion dollars. It opened number one uh, at $41 million, and it was the second highest grossing film of 96 behind Independence Day. Which Independence Day, I remember when we covered it, it did make a billion or over a half a billion dollars, which yeah. is insane for back then. Opening at forty-one domestic, even by today's standards, is pretty it's good. massive. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. good. Yeah. Unless you're unless you're you know a comic book movie or something, right? Uh, or Star Wars, like opening at forty-one is a good opening. Yeah, if you look at most of the movies that we've covered on that have opened recently, none of them are even near that. I think John Wick was at twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's super solid. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's a testament to like a lot of things. It's the genre. It's the fact that people really liked Paxton. It's the mm-hmm. fact that it's the director of Speed, and Speed was such like a cultural cornerstone in the early '90s. Um, it's so weird that Helen Hunt's the lead, you know, because she wasn't quite there yet. I know. I, I, th- like, I think the two leads didn't feel like they're there yet. No, I mean Paxton did because of those three movies that we mentioned. I almost feel like Carrie Elway felt more. But maybe that's just because of, like, my weird timetable of, like, his career. Yeah, he didn't, like, because Princess Bride's a lot earlier. Princess yeah. Bride's the 80s. That's why, though. I think it's just because of, like, Princess Bride and, like, when did Robin Hood Men in Tights come out? Like, 95? It's earlier 90s. I just remember seeing him in those and being like, that's the leading man. Yeah, Like, right. as a kid. Yeah, you know, And then watching this, seeing him as the bad guy, you're kind of like... Yeah. But these guys, you know, it was just Totally, weird. completely. Yeah, I mean, and Carrie Ellis shows up in, like, he's in one of those Morgan Freeman thrillers, like, Along yeah. Came a Spider right yeah. around the same time. Um so yeah, I it's the fact that this movie made as much money as it did, starred Bill Paxton, and that Paxton didn't have another action hit after this is I just don't understand it. It's like mind boggling. Yeah. They they were willing to bank the movie, spend ninety two million with Paxton as basically the selling point, and it made all the money they could ever hope for, and they didn't really go for it with Paxton again. I it, like yeah, that or or Yondabont. The whole thing is very strange to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why wasn't Godzilla starring Bill Paxton and directed by Jan de Bont? Yeah, like, immediately. Just do it. Yeah. Why wasn't... You know, it's like, you look at those movies that came out and the attempts, you know, he's in a simple plan with Ashley... Or with, um, I think it's Bridget Fonda and Billy Bob mm-hmm. Thornton, like, a couple years after this. Uh, and like I said, Frailty, he directed Frailty. But and maybe maybe some of that is Paxton. Maybe some of that is him. Right, like just picking his roles and being like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I want to do what I want to do. Yeah, you hear about some of these guys, and that's kind of how they feel. But, uh, but he doesn't really feel like that guy. No, he feels like the guy that would have just been like, sure. I saw an interview with him one point talking about how he was like, somebody was like, you're like one of the top, you know, 12 working actors of the 90s or something. And like, but not like, you know, but not like one of the stars. And, and he was like, yeah, I'm happy with that. You know, I love yeah. that. Like, he just seemed like that guy that was so happy to just be, his, just do his job. Be yeah. His, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so critically, Twister got a 6.3. Seems fair. Um, it does not follow our formula here. It's got a 50% by all critics, a 67 by top, and a 58 by audience. 
I can see that. I mean, I think people start to kind of shit on Twister. Yeah. Just because. I think it's kind of like a joke when you, like, me and my buddies in, in yeah. college would always talk about Twister and kind of joke a joke about of it. Of course. But then going back and watching it, it was it was super sweet. I was like totally more yeah, engaged was, by this movie than like most of like the older or like bad '90s movies. Totally. Like I was like, this is fucking sweet. Yeah, I was I was a hundred percent in, and I also, yeah, I don't remember why I talked yeah. so much crap about it. Yeah, probably because of the era. Just like it's just it's seemed, goofy. Yeah, it's like a it's a tornado movie, but yeah. like so yeah, it's really sweet. So um, he thinks like the storm does. Yeah, he can. Yeah. <laughs> He can read the storm. Yeah. His uh, the the relationship that he has to to uh, the ex the ex wife by the uh, end of the movie. No, no. Uh, the oh oh yeah, yeah Jimmy yeah. Gertz. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I I like loved her character and their relationship because you can just tell it's doomed to fail from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, from absolutely. the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, and she she's like kind of can see that it's doomed to fail as well. I also love when she walks up to Helen Hunt and is like, "You're still in love with him, aren't you? you?" And Helen Hunt just doesn't answer. Uh, <clears throat> Check, please. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing <clears throat> about this film that if we were doing like a full episode on, I would talk about the relationships in this movie are really good. Yeah. Like uh, the first communication between Helen Hunt and, and her or Jamie Gertz are great. I love the conversation between Helen Hunt and Bill Paxson in the car. Yeah. When they're chasing the tornado for the first time. Yeah. Uh, him talking to Philip Seymour outside. Like, yeah. out, like all those things. They're so good. Yeah. Agreed. The, the dialogue's really good where she where she's... What was he? I don't want to fight. Yeah, yeah, he just says I don't want to fight. She's yeah, like, I don't, I'm not fighting. I'm asking. It's like yeah. I don't want to fight. Like, it's yeah, just, it's great. <clears throat> it's just such a good line. Yeah, we've all been there, gentlemen. We've all been there. We'll say what you want. Then, yeah, I don't want to fight. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, moving into the three action movie categories, as we said, we're kind of doing an abbreviated version of this movie mm-hmm. today. Um, is this movie totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, or ridiculously legitimate? Uh, those three categories being defined by movies that fall off a cliff of absurdity, like Con Air, mm-hmm. movies that are held together incredibly well by drama and and action and everything like Lone Survivor or The Fugitive or the middle category like Predator and Speed and things like that. Yeah, I mean I think I have to throw in the middle category. Yeah. I think the reason for that is is that like it just feels that way. Yeah. You know like the 90s just kind of this move, this film is or the 90s is embodied in this film. But then like the graphics aren't that bad. No, it's you know, pretty looks pretty good. Tornadoes are horrifying. And again, with the point that I just made, like the first thing that stands out to me isn't the disaster, it's the amazing dialogue between these people and yeah. their great relationships. Yep. And I think that grounds it for me. So you put it in totally legit or I put it in the middle category. Yeah. It does it's just a little too like, I would put it here I, we go. I would put it in totally legit. <clears throat> the only thing that ruins it for me is that in the end. They're in the eye of a tornado holding, holding on, on to a pipe. Yeah. They're like in the middle of a F5 tornado. Right. And it's that, and even if the pipe were to, <laughs> to stay in the ground, you're there's like, not holding on to that. There's also like shrapnel and debris flying, flying around at like yeah. crazy high speeds that you're in, you'd be like cut to shreds, I think. Yeah. I think you'd be like pulled apart, honestly. Oh, absolutely you would. You'd yeah. be ripped apart. You'd be so disoriented. There'd be no way you're holding on to that thing. No. Uh, that part I got a completely suspended leave. <laughs> so I would put it in the middle category as well. So moving on to the last part of the show here, which is going to be sort of a <clears throat> remembering Bill Paxton, just sort of mm-hmm. memorial segment. Um, the first question is, who were his contemporaries? Who were the guys working at the same time as Bill Paxton? I listed a few here, but, um, you know, before we actually jump into this, I did pull a tribute that I think yeah, this we're, is all, cool. we're all fans, and, and it made me a little sad to watch this morning, so I just thought we'd play it for a minute.
Hey, I think this guy's a couple cans short of a six-pack. It's a great scene. Yeah. Wait, what is that? I think a simple plan. Yeah. <laughs> So good. Game over. <laughs> I think that's Mighty Joe yeah. Young. Yeah, that is. You love that movie. <laughs> Seen it a couple times. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a bummer, man. Yeah, it's really sad. Nicholson has this amazing quote about acting and like not not that you don't enjoy your life it's not that you don't love your life is why you want to be an actor but imagine being able to live so many other lives and right. like watching the beginning of that it's like you're an astronaut you're a cowboy you're a soldier you're this like it's just like god man you did everything yeah. you did everything it's really weird because you think about the number of guys or girls that exist in the world in and we're huge fans and we get to interview people and I think about the number of people out there that have done enough things that I would like talk to them and just and like and an hour wouldn't be enough no. like and, like it would you'd want to talk about everything they'd ever done and like Paxton's a hundred percent one of those guys because totally. you just watch that video and you're like I want to have a conversation with you about every one of those movies I could literally talk to you about 40 years of film right now yeah. and you would you would be able to tell me firsthand what it was like yeah. On all of them. So some of his contemporaries I listed here were Bill Pullman, mm-hmm. William H. Macy. I used to always get the two of them confused. Yeah. As yeah. And I think I think you put him on the list just strictly for the namesake. Just yeah. Because like. Pullman, Paxton, Bill, Bill. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Pullman, William H. Macy, John C. Riley, Chris Cooper, Steve Buscemi. Mm-hmm. These are, I mean, it's a bunch of middle-aged white guys, but yeah. you know, that's what his roles generally were in the 90s and 2000s. So. You think about each of these guys and any others that come to mind for you. This is just a I'm couple. Trying to think of other ones. I mean, that's a pretty solid list. The other guys that I think are like character actors, they don't play the same roles that he would. Yeah. You know, like the Richard Jenkins of the world. Sure. And like, right. You know, the Alan Arkins. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, <clears throat> and I the think J.K. Simmons, those guys. Definitely J.K. I, I think these guys are all particularly relevant because they were working a lot at the same time he was mm-hmm. in the '90s. There. Um, and what I would say about each of these guys is like William H. Macy was a is a phenomenal actor and has been in a ton of movies that we both love. But William H. Macy kind of has to play one particular type of kind of quirky, like, he's just, he's almost too much of a character actor. Like, H. Macy can't get away with playing Hudson. He doesn't get away with... He's also William H. Macy. He has this look and this thing about his delivery, and is you kind of always want to feel a little bad for him. Yeah, exactly. You know? Completely. And you don't feel, like, you... William H. Macy couldn't play the guy in True Lies, the car, the car dealer, because you would feel bad for the car dealer at some point. You don't yeah. really ever feel bad. Even he's like, I got a tiny dick, man. Yeah. You don't even <laughs> feel bad for him at that point. No, definitely. And I think, you know, I think in that way, it's like H. Macy, I, he couldn't play Hudson. Like, he's no. not going to be, he's not going to be the lead in Twister. No. Um, <clears throat> you know, Chris Cooper gets away with a lot of the same kind of, like, extre- extremely relatable, um, he can play the dad character, and he's... Yeah. 
uh, I would say, I would say that. Okay, we talk about the way Tony Scott directs Denzel. He washes away any of this like highfalutin, right. incredibly well respected. Um, I'm gonna just like knock your socks off with my Oscar or the performance in these movies. He never asks Denzel to do that stuff in those action movies. It's kind of like he asks him to just be himself, essentially. Paxton's not like. really asked to do much in the movies he's <clears throat> in, and and he does everything with that. Yeah, it's like he's one of those guys where he's very much Bill Paxton <clears throat> in most of the roles he's in. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning when I was thinking because you know PSH and him are both in this film, and when you watch Philip Seymour Hoffman act, he disappears. Yeah. Whereas when you watch Paxton act, it's Bill Paxton as this. Yeah. Every single time, but you want Bill Paxton in there, and that can work because that's worked for everybody from Clooney to yeah. to to Cruz to, to Pitt. To you know, Pitt, yeah. to, to Paul Newman. I mean, a lot of the great guys are kind of <clears throat> like that. There's and, very few guys that just completely vanish. Yeah, so, you know, Chris Cooper has sort of more of the, like, Oscar-worthy dramatic chops, I think, than Paxton had. But he's also not relatable in the same, like, big smile, super fun dude. Like, I always felt like, because the question here is what makes Paxton such a special performer? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, he's got this easygoing, everyman charm. He's castable as, like, the lead character. He's like... In his 20s, he's believable as your buddy you want to go on a fishing trip with and drink beers with. In his 40s, he's believable as your buddy who's now someone's dad. Yeah. Like, or your friend's fun dad, who's not, like, a mess. He's just, like, fun. You're, like, he's, like, the guy that should be cheering for the kid on on the baseball team. Right. He's just the best. Whereas Chris Cooper, when you look at him, he's the kind of guy, and it's, like, that face I'm talking about earlier, where you kind of, when Chris Cooper plays a nice guy in a movie, it takes me a second. To 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 let him be nice. Same with Steve Buscemi, another guy. On Same this list. with Steve Buscemi. Absolutely. There's all these are the guys that you kind of always are like. Buscemi's like, what do you have up your sleeve? Totally. Whereas Chris Cooper's like, what the what did I do wrong? Did I do something wrong? You yeah. Know? John, like John C. Riley here <clears throat> is like a little closer to Paxton in he, yeah than the guys sure. we're talking. But like the thing Paxton had in Spades, like what he had that made him unique, what made him so special is all the qualities we're talking about. But the fact that he's believable as the lead in Twister, he's believable as a Marine in Aliens, mm-hmm. right? Like, the, 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 those two things. Those, yeah, exactly. And the fact that he can be, like, this dark cult leader dad in frailty. Yeah. Those things are, like, Or from unique. weird science to Edge yeah. of Tomorrow. Totally. You know? Like, it's just, it's insane. So, like, not only his range, but I think what it is about him is it's his delivery and his look that make it so he's just approachable enough. Yeah. To be put in all these roles without being too aggressive or too nice. Yeah. But he just doesn't have that leading man quality. Yeah. Unfortunately. He kind, he almost does. He does. He, he does. He 100% does. But, but it's, he, it's different than the one we're talking about. Yeah. It's like, uh, something really interesting is, you know, uh, Cameron was wrote an article, I think, for Hollywood Reporter, maybe today or yesterday that I read, mm-hmm. talking about his time with Paxton. And, and he referred to Paxton and said, it's such a shame... All the memories we'll never have together, but I'll cherish the ones we did. And it's such a shame to see such a talented artist cut down in his prime. What I love about this prime is that Cameron refers to a 61-year-old guy in his prime. But here's the thing about Paxton. He wasn't a sex symbol at 35 that 61 makes him no longer in his prime. Right. He's every bit as castable as the He's drill the sergeant same, in Edge of yeah. Tomorrow now as he is in Training Day as a darker cop. Like... Because of the kind of actor that he was and the kind of roles he was able to play, he doesn't. He he's a timeless actor. He could play the same role. Like 
it wouldn't be as believable to put a 60-year-old astronaut on the moon, but if, right. you, if you dressed him down to be 45, you could probably do it, and you could right. put him back in Apollo 13 today, and he would still be the same. Like, he's that kind of guy. Or just put him in the control room. Yeah. You know, like, that's, he can put, yeah, that that's such a cool quote that he said that in his prime at yeah. 61. God, I thought that was young. really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think those are some sort of reasons why he exists the way he does. Uh, what are your top three Paxton movies? What are your What are your three favorites? My top three Paxton movies of all time. Not my favorite role. No, no. But just my your... favorite Paxton movies that he's in. Yeah. Um. Well, it's like Terminator and Aliens. I want to say right away, but like I feel like he's not super substantial. I mean, Aliens, he's he is more so. Um. You know what? I'll say Aliens then. I'll, I'll use Aliens as my number one. I think that Aliens is my. That would be my first one listed as well. That would be my third favorite movie that he's in. Okay, your third. Yeah. I think that's my... Yeah, that might be my third. Um, what do you got next? I'm going to say Tombstone is my second favorite movie that he's oh, in. Oh, of course it's Tombstone. Uh, and, yeah, I love him in Tombstone. I just adore the him in Tombstone. mustache is so good. He's great. He's great. He has a great quote in that movie that we're going to talk about in a minute here. Um, that would be my number two. Uh, my next one, then, film-wise, is it's... Uh, Oh god, it's so hard. It's got to be between True Lies and Edge of Tomorrow. I think True Lies though takes the edge for me. Yeah. Uh just because I grew up on it and like he's, he's so good. So good. Yeah. He's so good. What what is he saying? like step over in Europe? Yeah. <laughs> Go to London, may stop in Paris. <laughs> like, so good. And like it's moments like yeah. that where you know you're a genius actor. Yeah. No one's seeing it but your audience. You're yeah. the one creating that moment. And it's like, that's now one of our favorite parts of that whole movie. It's just... He, he's the best part of the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, my number one movie that he's ever been in is Edge of Tomorrow. It's my favorite. It's my Love favorite. I love that movie. I adore that movie. I think mm-hmm. that movie's I so... I too. I think that movie's so good. And... Um, the more I've watched it, I think it's like in my top like thirty favorite movies ever, probably. It's yeah, it's incredible. And he's so good in it. I remember uh, two two stories about this one. Uh, Cruz in an interview with uh, uh, Nerdist, Chris Hardwick a couple years ago talks about the Paxton speech, and he says, "Yeah, isn't that speech cool?" And he's like, "You know, I think people are going to quote that speech." And it's funny because I've quoted that speech before yeah. in Liquor League. I've said it as part of one of my speeches. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got all these great lines, right? He's like, "Battle is the great redeemer, the fiery crucible, and the only what's it, the That's only place in which speech. true bravery is truly forged." Something like that. And he says, "There is no courage without fear." Yeah, like there's so many good there's lines. So many good lines. Uh, yeah, I love that. And so then I love that Cruz talked about that speech. Yeah, and then on um, James Corden, uh, Mindy Kaling, and Paxson were on like a month ago, mm-hmm. and Corden's like, "Who's your who's your uh, your impossible crush?" You know, he's like the, the person that you you just kind of can never aspire to like Alicia Vikander. Yeah, but like who's your impossible crush? And, and Mindy Kaling is like, it's like Michael Fassbender or something. Or no, she says David Oyelowo, <clears throat> and then uh-huh. uh, Paxson's like, "I got a secret for you." It's Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they all start laughing. And he's like, I got to tell you, man. I, I, he's like, "What? tell me about the nature of the cruise. He's like, I had a dream about Cruise the other night. And he's like, it was real intimate, man. We were just relating to each other. And then he's like, and he's like, I'm going to jump on the couch now. And he gets up and he starts jumping on the couch. It was the fucking best. I was like, Paxton is truly the mascot of this show. For for all the reasons we've listed, for the right. fact that he's in so many of our favorite, all three of my favorites we've covered on here yeah, before. Yeah. And the <clears> fact that... That he says on that he has a crush on Tom Cruise. And How on can a you couch. beat 
fucking Bill Paxton. It's because he just doesn't care. He's the best. He's just himself. That's yeah. And then uh, my number one's uh, Nightcrawler. That's just because it's just so good. Yeah, not not because of him, but just because that movie is so good. Yeah, and he is great in it. Yeah, he's excellent. Yeah, that movie's Guys. fantastic. Um, so all right, moving on. Uh, we've kind of talked a little bit about I think the shit weasels and the history of shit weasels. I think it'll segue nicely. Xander his, Berkeley. His role in True Lies, he is the best part of that movie for yes. me. And I want to do a top three fist pump moments for each of us for Paxton. Okay. And I'm going to say, um, as the greatest shit weasel I've ever seen on screen, in True Lies yeah. is the moment you mentioned. Yeah. Oh, maybe absolutely. stop over to Paris, maybe London. <laughs> <laughs> just the look on his face is just amazing. Yeah, I think uh, uh, that that is from my... Yeah, that's a good one. I also got a body like a 12-year-old boy. Ass like a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> and then Arnold kills him. Like, yeah. in his fantasy, that is a total fist pump. Just because it's so fucking funny, man. Uh, and he's, he's phenomenal in that scene. He's yeah. so... Like, I, I mean, you've acted a hell of a lot more than I ever have. But I'll tell you, like... I know when you're just he's just he's playing and he's heightening he's, he's heightening it, yeah and he's heightening every moment in that scene he's in it he's just having so much fun with it he's just he's, like digging a knife yeah. deeper and deeper and turning it and it's just yeah. oh it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant yeah he's so fucking good in that movie um my second is well do you have a second one you want to jump in um yeah I think I think it might be. Shit, I just lost it. Nah, yeah, go ahead, jump, jump in. in with yours. Yeah, I lost I w- mine. I think mine is probably for is probably in. Oh, um, got it. Mine's probably in Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, it's hard not to say Game Over, man. But like, that was mine. That's my next one. Is Game Over? Game Over, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Game Over, Game man. Over, man. <laughs> Game Over. I mean, that might be the most quotable line in the entire movie. Absolutely, and it's just the fact that it's improvised is great. It's like what what was going on in Bill's head in that moment for him to just yell that out while James Cameron's making a movie. He's the most memorable part of Aliens. Is the funny part? It's like really? Sigourney Weaver, Michael Bean, the Queen, the effects. All of it's great. I almost feel like he's like the thing that's endured the he's most. Always dri- he's always driving and keeping it moving. You he's know? like the thing when you watch that movie, like he's the thing that everybody in the theater is quoting and yelling at the screen. Yep, yep. Um, you know, I would I would guarantee, guarantee in his career that he got approached on the street about that movie more than anything else. You I think would, so? Yeah. I would yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's one of the else. biggest movies of all time and that line for sure. Yeah, so, but I think for me, it's it's probably part of that initial speech that he's given to Cruz there in Edge of Tomorrow. Um I just love I love so much but I love that he delivers the whole speech and then he's like Cruz looks at him he's like you're not taking me to a phone call are you officer and he's like no sir I'm not yep. and he takes out the orders he's like seems the only thing truthful you've told me here is your name um, it's just he's just so good in that role and he plays it just perfectly yeah it's, he say why they call it science ill don't know don't care yeah, it's weird when you look at those roles like the Joker. Yeah, and you're like, there's so it's so complex and there's so much nuance you have to bring to it and so much work and all that. But on the other side of that, there's the roles that are just sergeant, army sergeant. How do you make that role come to life? How yeah. do you bring character and and energy and excitement to that guy? Yeah, you know that's really hard to do with stale characters or like a stale role. Yeah, where does you get like yeah? So seeing him do that is is so cool. My next fist pump. For Paxton, I don't know, man. It's it's really hard to say what my final fist pump is for him. Like to pick one last yeah. one to sum up his whole career. Do you have one? Yeah, I think do you I have do. A final? What is it? Yeah, I was I was scrubbing through scenes because um, I had a similar thought that you did, which is mm-hmm. that 
with Paxton, it's almost as if the movies themselves are the fist pumps because he's in so yeah. many movies I love. But as I was scrubbing through scenes, I came across one moment in Tombstone that I, as soon as I saw it starting, I was reminded of it. But it's the moment that he's dying. It's the moment that he's dying, and he's looking at um, Wyatt, and he says, Hey, Wyatt, you know that thing they say about seeing the light when you die? Right. It ain't true. Like, that's such a good line, and it's just, I don't know what it is about that, but when I watched it this time, maybe it was because of the situation now, obviously, but Something I just... about it. I just love that movie, and I love the relationship of the brothers in that movie, and that's such a that's such a Paxton role to me. It's so it's such in support of a star, but it's right. so it's like it's like every bit as important as the star. Like Wyatt Earp, Kurt Russell's not better than him in that movie, you know, mm-hmm. quite the opposite. It's like he's almost more memorable than Wyatt Earp. Yeah, he's just he just stands out in every role that he's in. I don't know. I love that moment. Yeah, I think I think mine is that I mean, and this may not be in the best of taste, but it's it's the fact that he's been killed by an alien, a predator, and a terminator. Yeah, right. Like you've been in the three coolest sci-fi action franchises of all time, even if you were in Predator Two, we you yeah. know. But like just that. I think the fact that like I'm an actor. Yeah. I want to do this for a living. Yep. And like if I could at the end of my career be like, Yeah, I was an aliens, Predator Two, and Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's me? a male. Oh, and also Titanic, and also Edge of Tomorrow, and also Twister. And all, we didn't you know, even like, list Predator 2 on this list. No, we it's didn't. It's not even in the top 13 movies. No. And yeah. then, like, Weird Science and, and, and Nightcrawl. It's just, it's it just the list goes on and on. Apollo 13. I think it's just looking at the dude's body of work as a fist pump for me. Yeah, and we didn't talk much about Apollo 13. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's honestly. been a long time since I've seen it. But, like, just the first 20 seconds of that video in silence with just the music was like heartbreaking yeah completely yeah completely so yeah I think that uh, I think that pretty much wraps up our Paxton Memorial episode yeah um, you know it's there's there's so, there's so much you can say about the guy and we've heard a lot of stories from people we've interviewed and talked to our, our buddy John Sheck who came on for Collateral recently mm-hmm. he just was in Texas Rising with uh, with Paxton a couple years ago they were filming it out there and um, he spent a lot of time with them, and they were they were old friends. And you know, I was talking to Sheck a little bit this week about it, and he just was he was just heartbroken. He was just, yeah. I mean, like everybody, like Sigourney Weaver, like Michael, like like James Cameron, like everybody. They just everybody just there's so much you know support and just sadness over this. Yeah, it's just like one of those just a really nice good guy that worked his ass off that just went too soon. Yeah, so. Cheers, Bill. Cheers, Bill. Here's to you. Here's to you, my man. It's the first tribute episode we've ever done. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we won't be doing many more. Yeah, exactly. So, um, guys, we've got one last thing to do on the show, and that's called <laughs> The Pitch. <laughs> so, uh, the last thing to do here is to talk about what we're going to do next week. And we were supposed to do Swordfish. We were supposed to do Swordfish. We were doing Swordfish in anticipation of Logan coming yes. out. So now the question is, do we do Swordfish or do we do Logan? So I want to just talk through this on air yeah. really quick because I was running late today. That's why yep. we started late. Um, I am filming Saturday, Sunday, and Monday Got it. through the night until Tuesday morning. Yeah, so I, I don't know if I'm going to have time. to Vegas on, Monday, on Friday morning through the weekend for work. So maybe we do Swordfish this week and Logan next week. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not going to make any difference, really, is it? We're still going to have to watch the movie. We'd still either one of us are going to be watching the movie on Monday or Tuesday. Well, right. My, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My point being is that we don't do Logan on the show next week, so we have a week and a half to watch it. Got it. Okay. Does that make sense? We cover Swordfish next week. Sure. You want to do that? Yeah, sounds good. Audience, you guys cool with that? 
Cool. All right. Sounds All right. good, guys. <laughs> uh, swordfish it is. It'll be back-to-back Jack, but no! No! It's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. I do it every time his name comes up. Uh, guys, you can find our podcast on Twitter, at AMA Podcast. You can find me, at Andrew Guy, on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media. And you can find us on the Ultimate Movie Trivia Schmodown versus Joel Monique and Emma Fife on March 14th. Yes! We can't fucking wait. We're going to win. Oh, God, we're so jacked up for that. Uh, guys, tune in for that. It's going to be great. We'll talk a little more about it next week. But, uh, yeah, guys, thanks for watching. And uh, adios, Bill Paxton. Rest in peace. You are our hero. We will miss you. We'll see you guys soon. Rest in peace. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.